0: Please visit AnyWhenAnywhere.com for more information about this program.
1: WTC Radio. In Beautiful. Anywhere and anywhere.
0: It's our conversation with Mark Tye. Wanting to be cool. A musician and DJ. Someone who really loves the telescope. Join us as we try to fight the Sunday morning. Wanting to be cool. There's something so incredibly powerful about nostalgia and retro culture that. In spite of all of the indicators revealing that I should probably lay off because maybe wallowing in the past is not exactly super healthy for you, I just cannot get enough of. And especially the period between 1965 and 1985. There's something about that range of time where music was happening that... So much of the stuff that I love and obsess over in the here and now was made in that range of time. Uh, And as I continue to uh, discover and rediscover and uh, explore this range of art and music and culture, I'm consistently fascinated and obsessed with the stories that come out of it. Uh, I mean, you know, the punk scene of the late 70s is certainly at the epicenter of a lot of this and it's my entry point my genesis the thing that uh, drew me in initially and then uh, led me on all of the various paths that i have followed throughout culture um, film wise uh, art wise uh, and of course music wise Uh, there's just Something about the way that the germs uh, presented themselves or uh, the sound of those X records that feels so uh, completely in step with everything that I think about regularly, but also seems to indicate possibilities of the future and uh, what we could uh, have if we all just put aside our bullshit and worked together. (laughs) And you know, that is to say that when you get the opportunity to talk to someone like Mark Time, you really, really take advantage of it because uh, this is someone who not only lived in the Bay Area uh, in the early 70s uh, and uh, was in a band <laughs> at that period of time where uh, they were playing with groups like the Dead Kennedys and Crime Uh, But uh, also uh, someone who had the larger view of music and its uh, place in culture, you know. I mean, Mark was collecting records before this, but was on the radio in the early 70s and continues to this day. Uh, The Sunday Morning Hangover on KWVA is not only something that is a dependable source of great music and whatnot, but... Is a good place for someone like Mark to kind of uh, strut his stuff. You know, someone who's has these kinds of stories, who's had these kind of experiences and interactions over the years, who used to review records here and play them on the radio there, and be in bands in this other place. Uh, someone like that, you know, really needs an outlet to present their experiences the stuff that is informing them on a day-to-day basis you know mark is someone who is always just slightly ahead of the curve just a little bit out of step with what's cool and popular and uh you know we kind of get at this there's this rebellious streak in him that uh is constantly looking for something that isn't of the now and, uh, and I think that is one of the most appealing parts of his personality, knowing that uh, he's pretty much always gonna raise a middle finger and look to find something else that's not cool. Uh, and uh, without fail, it's probably going to be cool in a few years. Just you wait. Now I do need to warn listeners at this point, uh, the name of one of the bands that Mark was in uh, has a very offensive word in the name, uh, and it is a word that we do not use now in polite society or culture. And, uh, you know, what can I say? Uh, you know, we are, uh, reporting the past in this situation, and, uh, it is not a case where we support homophobia or any of the language that supports homophobia at all. Uh, but, uh, there is a context and a time and a place uh, that uh, created the name of that band. And we get into that, we talk about it, and we talk about how uh, it could be misinterpreted. I mean, with that name, a band that had uh, androgynous women and men in the group would play to gay audiences at gay clubs. So it's not the meaning that you think it has, but in the here and now, you would never name a band that. We are aware of that. It's uh, discussed in the podcast, but the word is used several times, and so I hope that listeners understand that and take it to heart, and uh, if you don't want to hear that word, please skip this episode. There'll be another one very soon, where we do not use that word. (laughs) While I'm in the mode of handling administrative bits and bobs, why don't I mention that uh, this is not the first time Mark and I have done some radio together. I did appear on the Sunday Morning Hangover uh, back in October as a guest, and uh, I put a link to that in the show notes so that you can uh, hear that conversation. Because in it, which I think is relevant, he talks about his time working at Rather Ripped Records, which uh, we kind of skip over a little bit in this conversation. Um, And uh, I think that uh, my appearance previously on his show where he talks about that stuff is relevant to this conversation in that context. So please listen to that, and you'll get a little bit more of Mark talking about Rather Ripped and his role there. And lastly, I will mention that The band I will fail to be able to name during the conversation that Mark and I are having is The Dictators, and there is a link to them in the show notes as well. Um, And I think that it's good to know that going in because uh, we never actually get back to it, unfortunately. All of that said, whew, man, you know, sometimes it's tough to, uh, to to put these spiels together in a context that uh, really gets to the point succinctly. But I, I think that uh, with Mark, there's almost too much story. <laughs> you almost need more context. Uh, we talked for over four hours, I think almost four hours and a half, if I'm not mistaken, And, uh, I can't even include two hours of it because I just do not have the time to sort through and cut out, uh, all of the little bits that we just can't put on the show. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not that, uh, I can't, I could just include it unedited if you wanted, but I I mean, there's just so much of that two hours and, uh, yeah, it's Mark going through my records. (laughs) That's the context for this interview is that, uh, I was getting rid of a whole bunch of LPs and Mark showed some interest and he ended up taking a bunch of them too. So uh, I have two hours of us rifling through these LPs and him telling me stories about this, that and the other that is not included in this interview. And uh, this one still clocks in at almost an hour and a half. Uh, It's, you know mark loves to tell stories uh and he's got a million really good ones and so at this point it's probably better for me to just shut up and let him talk it's wtbc radio in beautiful any when anywhere and this is mr mark time wtbc radio in beautiful anywhere anywhere this conversation was recorded in the Lava Lamp on December 19th,
2: 2018. I brought these in case you needed some visuals or you want to take a picture Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I will want to take a photo of those because, like, again, I never see those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is the thing as a record nerd, you hear about punk singles yeah. all the time, but like, it's always a blog somewhere where some guy's like, and this record is great, and you're like, mm, wish I wish I've got a wall <laughs>
2: of 45s, so I've got a lot of this early shit, a lot of the The Buzzcocks, when Pete Shelley died last week. Oh, yeah. I took out my Buzzcocks 45s, and they're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. They're like, one of the bands I really like is XTC. Yes. Oh,
0: their records are great. And their
2: 45s are incredible. They're all like non-LP. There's usually B-sides that you can't, and they unfold into posters, and they're just, the artwork's incredible. And Andy does the artwork himself, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is that rolling? It is, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, so I
0: had this funny story with my cousin where uh, I put together this collection of songs and I was sending it out to different people. And so my cousin's like, hey, can you send me one? I send it to her and then she says hey, can you send me another one? I live next door to this guy who I think would like it. And I was like, oh, really? Why do you think that? He's like, oh, he was in this punk band, The Jars. His name's um, <laughs> Mick Dow or oh, something. Oh, no. You guys know Mick? <laughs> and so my cousin was like, yeah, you got to send a copy so I can give it to him. And so I was like, okay, sure. And then I realized, wait a minute, I think I know a guy in the jars, too.
2: <laughs> it's funny. Yeah.
0: And, and this is one of those things where I think it's like seven degrees of separation where you can pretty quickly find someone who was in that scene if you you know start asking somebody who
2: knows somebody. Well, I might as <laughs> well start talking about Mick then, because yeah. that's where we started. So, yeah, you, know, you know, I'm from Connecticut. I worked on a radio station in Connecticut, my college station. then when I was 21, I moved out with a girl to Berkeley, California. And one of the first things I did was get on a radio station, which was K-A-L-L-X Berkeley. And they are legendary. Yeah. And at the time, they were like a 10-watt station. They hardly did anything. Mm -hmm. And nobody listened to them. And their (laughs) record library was buried in the bottom of Zellerbach Hall. And me and a guy named Doc Pelzel, who ended up on KSJC in San Jose... Put together the KALX record library. Remember, mm. there weren't CDs in those days. Right. We put together and put mnemonic labels on them and it organized the record library and made it seaworthy. And I was on the air between seventy-five and seventy-eight. Mm. Now I met Mick there. That's how I ran into Mick. Mick was a DJ there also. Mick was a student there, and he's like, "Oh, come on over. We're all into the same music, which was Gong." Soft Machine, Ah. Hatfield in the North, Tangerine Dream, you know, kind of like the leftover 60s garage weird stuff. Yeah, or electronic, (laughs) kraut rock, progressive rock, and we were into that shit, but at the time, around 75, 76, things were changing, there was like pub rock happening, there was some shit going on, and we we talked about being in a band, but... We did an electronic music show called Noise on KALX. It was a half hour show. And it was all Zanakis and Stockhausen and, you know, Terry Riley and all those guys. You know, just uh, the history of noise and music. John Cage. And Mick and I kind of hit it off. So, anyhow. So, Mick played guitar. I didn't play anything. But we would get together and fool around. I had a tape recorder and I'd... Use a trash can or something. Right. And then I got a synthesizer, which was a PV build-it-yourself synthesizer. <laughs> which seems crazy now, but that's how it was then. Did you ever see those? They I... had little... It was like a keyboard with a, a display panel, and you took... Little pegs, and you had to put the pegs in the holes to get ring modulator and everything else. I've only ever seen photos, never seen one in the wild. (laughs) So now we're up to 76, and I was in this hippie house, and me and Mick did a version of Silver Machine by Hawkwind, Interstellar Overdrive, and our friend Arm & Hammer, I started working at a record store called The Warehouse. I don't know if you remember The Warehouse, but it was a record chain. Mm. That totally sucked. This was in Oakland. Got it. And my friend Gary Hobish, a.k.a. Arm and Hammer, who now is the guy that I told you engineered a lot of those Creedence records, and he's in a number of bands. He, me, and Mick got together, and then there was this guy, J.D. Buell, (laughs) who was my neighbor who came over, and he said, oh, he was kind of younger than us, he goes, hey, let me sing on a few songs. So I said, what am I going to do? And so then I ended up moving up to Albany, and I bought a drum kit. Mm. I said, look, We've got a singer, we got a bass player, and a guitar player, we need a drummer, I'll be the drummer. Sure, sure, sure. Process so, of elimination. So Mick and I lived together. We were roommates, we started the Jars. There was a four-man band, and <laughs> it, this is kind of a weird sidebar. Um, so we were kind of playing, but we also were backing up a friend of mine named Irene Dogmatic,
1: hmm.
2: who w- used to be in a punk band called SST, <laughs> who had a, a guitar player named Ted Falcone. Hmm. Ted Falcone ended up in Flipper.
0: Oh, right. Okay. yeah. yeah so yeah. you could put
2: Flipper in the jars on the same tree. <laughs> so the Beauty Killers came out of SST. When SST broke up, Ted went to Flipper. Irene Dogmatic joined us. We were the Beauty Killers backing her up. Got it. And then when she stepped off stage or when she left the rehearsal, we ended up doing our own thing. Well, we ended up jettisoning Irene, we got rid of Irene. <laughs> She Couldn't sing. Sure, she was a she's a famous artist, and she was a sweetie about it. Mm-hmm. And we started at the jars because we were drinking out of jars. We couldn't didn't have glasses. We just had like peanut butter jars. Sure,
0: sure. Yeah, so it, the, it's kind of one of those things. The necessity of the time was feeding so much of not just uh, people's lives, but the scene. He's like, yeah. of course,
2: take my lifestyle and make it a part of my music. Yeah. So we're getting up to 77, and I started working at Rather Rip, because Mick worked at Rather Rip, and he got me in there. So Mick and I worked That's together got the and job. lived together. Got it. And so 77, we got into 1978, and my friend Gary Malika, also known as Gary Nervo, was in Cleveland, and he was a road manager for a band called The Pagans. And mm-hmm. he also personally knew Devo, Parubu, and all the Cleveland that bands. That whole scene, Frankenstein, and yeah. uh, Tombs, and stuff like that. Rocket from the Tombs, he knew everybody in that whole scene. Wow. He was part of it, because he was a DJ. He got kind of railroaded out of town. Uh, he had he was fucking some guy's girlfriend, the guy was going to kill him. <laughs> Whoops! Uh, so anyways, uh, he ended up coming to San Francisco, and he joined the Jars at... As our keyboard player. Very cool. So it was JD, me, you know, and then JD and the Jars recorded some stuff, but we got real tired of JD because JD was off into the pop thing. He was into like Everly Brothers, Bruce mm. Springsteen. We were into Hawkwind and Can and all that other stuff, right? And the, the more psycho pop. So we got rid of JD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we picked up a guitar player named Mike Montaldo who ended, ended up in a band called Red Meat. Who are still playing today? Yeah, that's the story of the Jars, and so, that's the forming. It, this is the thing I think a lot of people forget is that
0: bands aren't like, "Hey, let's start a band, and the next day you're the band." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is the way more common story where yeah. it's like two guys want to start a band, and it takes like four years. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so the Jars were cool. We were playing a lot of clubs in Ber- in Berkeley. We fat in fact. Started playing clubs that didn't have music like the international cafe that they, they ended mm. up getting bands like the uh, Alley cats the dills the Avengers dead right. Kennedy's ended up playing there at one point when the dead Kennedys were first formed We opened up. No, excuse me. They opened up for us And the po- I have a copy of the poster it says the jars with Dead Kennedy. I <laughs> didn't even get the name wrong. Yeah, I did get the name wrong. And that was cool gig. So anyways, we bumped into some record people like Steve Tupper from Subterranean, and he said, hey, you want to do a record on my new label? And that's where Start right now, Electric Third Rail and Psycho came from. And that's one of the first...
0: So training records Like within the first few releases Number four,
2: yeah, yeah. And um, we didn't fit the model Because we were too pop for them This is actually a <laughs> pop record um, And uh, see there's the four of us there right. J- JD's not with us anymore This is so and funny Mike isn't with us yet either mm-hmm. So um, Mike is on Mike's not even on any of these
0: records. Now, when you say that this is more pop, like I'm seeing, so you're doing a cover of Psycho. I assume that's the
2: Sonics yeah. Psycho. Psycho. Uh, this... Electric Third Rail was kind of a progressive rock song. Yeah, And Start Right Now is a J.D. Buell song that he wrote with Mick.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
2: was so popular that we ended up putting it on the record, but it wasn't really what we were into. That's why he ended up leaving the band, starting his own band.
0: Isn't it funny how like by the time you've put the record out, your band has become a different band.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got these two records. This record came about. The second out record, "Time of the Assassins," got a lot of play on KALX. The version it was actually our first recording that we recorded at Fantasy Records with JD Buell singing on it. Mm. We wiped the version of his his uh, vocals off and put mix on for the record, mm. but. The J.D. Buell version was getting lots of play on college radio. So we went over to Hyde Street Studios, which is where the Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, and everybody else recorded. And recorded Jar Wars as a B-side. It's an instrumental. This is my favorite Jar song. Yeah. It's an instrumental. I helped write it. Isn't there some video of Jar Wars being performed? Yeah. Yeah. And so this was kind of a hot record. And this came out on the Universal label, which was... Are look at this it says twenty five cents. <laughs> I bought this for a quarter somewhere. Um, that was our record store. Uh, so we okay. had a, we were at a record store where we but we busted Ron's balls, the guy that ran the store, saying, "Put out our record." Right, and
0: um, he did. And this is how it was done in those days too. Yeah. Where like I think a lot of people now imagine a record label and they think of something like Interscope or whatever. Yeah. Or it's they put out records and whatever. In the those days. It was a record store that was usually fronting the money. money.
2: (laughs) So this is a bogus cover because it's kind of all. But I remember one night sitting around for hours. These sleeves arrived on one, just sheets. Mm -hmm. And we had to take the sleeves, cut them out, paste them, and paste them together. Uh, Oh, yeah. Like old-fashioned. So we sold about 2,000 of these. Nice. So then, because of that... We ended up back in the studio at Fantasy, and they wanted to do a special EP. Mm. At the time, which was 1980, Mike Kerb, who was a record producer, was running for governor. Mm. and No, excuse me, lieutenant governor. And he was kind of a... You'll see him in all these weird, like, 60s soundtracks, but he basically... <laughs> he, he, he did a lot of Muzaki-type stuff. And he was kind of a douchebag. Mm. So the, one of the guys at Fantasy that worked there, Richie Corsello, said, can you guys, we were performing a Mike Curb song called Teenage Rebellion, which was like a motorcycle soundtrack song.
1: Okay.
2: He goes, can, can we record you doing that, the vocal version, and put it out as an anti-Mike Curb record? <laughs> I go, sure. So that's how we got into Fantasy. Uh-huh. Well, by the time we ended up with the product, the, the guy wasn't running anymore. Right. And so we were still recording, and we did seven songs there, I mm. think, as an EP. And we spent a year in the studio. And it was pretty... We we covered a band called Silver Apples. I don't know if yeah, you familiar with them. Yeah. And we did, more electronic. Yeah, and... and we did some pretty far-out stuff. And, and we were going to put out an album mm. when... Here's where we get back to Mick. <laughs> Mick was pretty fucking weird dude. Sure. He, I remember, here's what started it all. He called me up one day and he goes, what about the world tour? <laughs> and I go, well, I think we should start with a West Coast tour, don't you? I right, go, Are right. you crazy? He goes, no, we got to do a world tour. And that's when I knew he was starting to really get obnoxious. Mm. And at the time, me and Gary were kind of fooling around in a side band. We had Mick come down and jam with us one day. We had this little side band going with Ray Farrell, who's a guy I was working at the store with. Ray ended up being road manager for Sonic Youth. Oh. He ended up touring with Panther Burns and uh, Alex Chilton. Ended up right, Ended up uh, knowing uh, Nirvana because he worked <laughs> at Geffen Records. Wow. He, knew Kurt, he knew Kurt and all that. Anyhow, Ray and I... were. And Mick and Nervo were there, and Mick turned to us and goes, what are we going to call the band? And we were like, we don't want you in the band. But Mick goes, let's call ourselves the Art Faggots. Because at the time, everybody was getting into these bands like Duran Duran, it was a post-punk thing. Right, right. And Art Faggot meant somebody that was all dolled up, that kind of like played really sterile type, R.C. music. To us, we didn't like that. Yeah, yeah. So Nervo and I looked at each other, we said, yeah. And so we said to Mick, well, I don't know if we're going to be getting together anymore. So we just kind of edged Mick out. <laughs> and then took the name. And took the name. We had no guitar <laughs> player. It was it was me on sax, Mark Time sax, and percussion. Gary Mollick on synthesizer and organ. Ray on bass and Nervo's mm-hmm. now wife on drums. Female drummer.
0: No guitar player. So you're already, this is what I'm thinking is fascinating about this is that you are concurrent with the punk explosion that's happening. But like you are already
2: like light years ahead of it. Right. (laughs) Already we were into post punk. Right, right, right. (laughs) Because we were kind of a funky trash rock band at that Mm. time because it was bass drum oriented. Yeah, yeah. So, and naturally, because Marge was female and she looked kind of asexual. Mm. When we played a couple of the clubs, the gay club owners loved us. And oh, we were okay. called yeah. the Art Fags, so we played a lot of gay clubs. Makes sense. And so I remember Tim Yohanan from Maximum Rock and Roll came to see us one night, and he goes, you guys aren't a funk band, you're just a trash band. <laughs> <laughs> so, But we did some recording at Fantasy, sure. and one of the guys that came in to help produce was a guy named Steve Fisk.
0: Oh yeah! Yeah, from mm-hmm. you Who's know, become famous since then. <laughs> but um,
2: but Armin kicked him out of the studio. Armin mm-hmm. ended up taking over the production. So, but the Art Faggots have, I don't know, we got about ten songs on tape mm-hmm. that never came out. But creeping terror came out on Aaron Comet Bus's cassette-only release. Oh, uh, okay. Called "Let Lest There Be," lest there be. I forgot the title. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I feel like I remember reading something about
2: this. So cause... we were starting to play clubs in San Francisco. People yeah. liked us because we had a funky sound. We were we did a James Brown takeoff. You know, <laughs> and then, simultaneously, my mom got my mom uh, ended up getting cancer oh. in Connecticut. And Gary and his wife got in a massive car accident. Wow! And Ray went out on tour with the Panther Burns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the band basically split up at that point. I yeah. moved back east. Kind of discre- yeah. Yeah, and Gary and March tried to do the art faggots without me, but it didn't work. And at that time we were hanging out with another band called Pell Mell. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we used to Pell Pellmel used to open for us. Oh, Steve wow. Fisk was in the band <laughs> and Steve was like, How come you guys get everybody dancing and we don't? <laughs> I said, Well, a lot of it's being a front man Mm. because we had a front man, That was me. Sure. Yeah, I went from being drummer in the jars to being the front man because I was crazy, you know. (laughs) Anyways, so Pell-Mell was looking at me at the time like, maybe we should steal that guy. (laughs) I almost became singer for Pell-Mell. That would have been really funny. But all this shit happened. I ended up moving back east. They got together jammed jam with Pell-Mell, and that was the end of the art faggots. Well, I was back east for about five years, four years, came back in 87, and my friend's... Gary, the keyboard player, mm-hmm. and my other friend named Mark, another, a different Mark, who was manager of the Fried Abortions, <laughs> manager of the Jars, and he was a singer, For, him and Gary formed a two-man blues band called Bo. Mm. And they would play the Sound of Music, Baboué Gardens, and right. Pizza Paulers. But they had no band behind them. Mm-hmm. I came back to be their drummer, and we got a guitar player named Snoopy who played, he was a maniac. Snoopy's a whole other story. (laughs) And Bo was formed, and we ended up doing a whole bunch of gigs at Gilman Street, 924 Gilman, opening up for Green Day, opening up for a bunch of L.A. bands, opening, (laughs) and we got to know Crimp Shrine, we got to know Rancid. Okay. Uh, One of my favorite moments was my friend Snoopy collected old cars, and he had it. 1963 ambulance. Oh, whoa. If you can imagine the fins and how yeah. huge that thing was, and one day, one day we're parked in front of the club in Gilman Street, and we the guys from Rancid are out there. We go, come on in. We piled like ten people in there, smoked the joint, <laughs> and it was in an ambulance. Right. And they're like, this is the coolest <laughs> thing ever. So Bo went until, and I told you we had played on John Peel. There were yeah. people from England and and. Uh,
0: and again, Poland. you know, like in the mid-80s to do kind of like almost a blues referencing kind of thing. Not really in step with what's cool at that time. You remember the
2: John Spencer blues explosion? Yeah, yeah. They were doing what we were doing except we were doing it first. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's just a few years later. Yeah, and we have videos of us in fact, we did a video, a limited release of a, this video. We had 50 copies and we threw a bunch out into the audience. <laughs> and some little girl, she must have been like 13, came back the next gig and she goes, I love this video. And we're going, Yeah, what do you like about it? She goes, My dad hates it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's exactly what you wanted to hear. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. I remember we did a flip side gig that got filmed. So, but Bo ended up, so by that time, we were edging into our, like, 30s and mm-hmm. late 30s, and we were getting, too, frankly, too old to rock and roll. Yeah. And Mark didn't want to do it anymore. Snoopy, our guitar player, was increasingly unreliable. And Gary moved to Pasadena, mm. where, and yeah. where he still is. That's... Sort of my musical Yeah, history. that Those...
0: kind of puts a little nail in it if everybody's yeah.
2: moving away. There's a lot their... more to it, but I sure. mean, uh, that was basically mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. my musician stuff.
0: But the time and place aspect of it is kind of um, incredible because like, I don't think people at the time knew that L.A. was going to be the LA music, you know, it was just a bunch of people getting together, forming
2: bands and starting out. Or San Francisco. Or even, yeah, yeah. And at the time, there was a big rivalry between San Francisco and LA because LA had the, Mm. kind of the crazier, punkier bands. San Francisco had bands like the Nuns and Crime who were closer to the Jefferson Airplane family, Grateful Dead family Mm -hmm. type of lineup where you'd have a girl in the band, you'd have guys that were like brothers Mm -hmm. and you'd have like a big band. In LA, there was like bands with like three guys in them like the zeros yeah. it's
0: time for dial a song hey what the hi it's john f of they might be giants and you're listening to austin rich on wtbc radio and beautiful anywhere Anywhen. it's a
2: podcast with austin and this is they might be giants song of the week this is the latest from us it's our dial song
1: trip the trip
3: trip the trip is he human or is he a beast? He's the ugliest one officer in the California Highway Police? If you flash too fast, he'll eat your face Pass him on the left, he'll eat your face And if you talk back, he will eat what's left of your face Jim the Trip the chip, the he is, it was It's his favorite part of the day Chip the Chimp is so hungry His lunch has gone. to everything under the wing. Oh, you don't deserve what's coming next Probably your life was filled with happiness you will gonna finish spend what's left on it With the Chimp, Chip the Chimp Life in prison would be better than the teeth Of the chip. Chip the Chimp Free injection would Alright, pull it over. You know why I stopped you? Cause I
1: thought maybe you could tell me why I stopped you. Afterward, he'll relax. Now he's face down in toxic waste. When it's completely burned,
3: he will shed and wait for his skin to regenerate. Now the side of him might gross you out So if you're high offense, you poke it out If you're a really high offense, poke out the offending of the eyeball as well If you try too fast, you'll eat your best Fast is on the left, you'll eat your fist And if he's the back, he will
0: eat what's left of your fist you know. and, and and Crime in particular kind of almost felt like a throwback because they had like the matching outfits right. and they're almost doing like garage rock. and They were
2: so <laughs> great live. I remember a gig at the Mabue and I, I knew the guy from the Nuns, the singer of the Nuns, mm. Richie. And him and I were hanging out doing Quaaludes or something. And <laughs> and Crime was playing and Crime gets up and a screen comes down for the stage. And you hear sirens and the sirens are cranked up. to go woo-woo and the band goes into a song called Baby You're So Repulsive and on the screen is a gangbang movie with a nurse and ten guys Whoa. and she's getting it in every direction and everybody's and Richie turns to me and he goes the guy from the nuns he goes that's cheap man he goes that's really cheap because <laughs> the they had, nuns a, are they saying had a rivalry that, right? you know? so, so funny but um, anyways, and it
0: is, if that it's a, I mean I don't know if this could be stressed where it's like it seemed like where everybody was a much more um, regimented in L.A. It seemed like the San Francisco yeah. bands were so much more fun and a wild. little bit crazier. Yeah, there was a
2: <laughs> lot of diversity, and that's the thing about the Jars was we were on sort of on the fringe because we were a little bit too pop and a little bit too psychedelic mm. for the rest of the people to digest. Everybody. By 1980, punk had moved from... Let's talk about punk rock. Yeah, yeah. It was New Wave at first, okay? And New Wave meant B-52s were punk rock. Devo was Mm -hmm. punk rock. Blondie was punk rock. Right. Television. And how those bands all sound different.
1: Mm -hmm, And
2: mm -hmm. they all had an element of fun and not so serious. By 1980, the maximum rock and roll philosophy had taken over where... Bands had to be anti-establishment. All the songs had to be like less than two minutes. Very stringent. And it had to be all guitars. No saxophones, no synthesizers. And it was all about smashing the system. It was all very dead serious. Mm -hmm. And we weren't into that either. (laughs) So punk had kind of evolved in a way, but it gotten into where now there was new wave and there was punk. Right. It wasn't the same anymore yeah and that's kind of what i went through like when i first started i was wearing a leather jacket i remember i had a swastika on at one point <laughs> and somebody said to me some jewish friend of mine was like all oh, pissed off about the swastika i said no what it's doing what it's about is shaking things up mm-hmm. that's all that's all it meant right was to be so repulsive that you would Get a reaction, but mm-hmm. by 1980 we were tired of it. I was wearing <laughs> with the art Faggots I was wearing a I wore a red Sammy Davis Jr. suit that I got at like Goodwill. It was oh, a red funny. polyester suit with a tie and, a, and <laughs> bell bottoms, and it was like, and uh, that that was my thing. I was sure like, I wanted the art Faggots to be like James Brown with a with a review behind me mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about punk rock anymore. Yeah. You guys were almost like. Too
0: early for the Paisley revolution that came yeah. like a few years later, where all that psychedelic stuff started to kind of come back into the yeah. rock scene. Yeah, uh, well,
2: we had a Farfisa keyboard. You know? Yeah, exactly. Gary he had a Farfisa. He played it on a shopping cart. So that was his, his stand. And uh, we were a little bit weird. and But frankly, a lot of people thought we sucked. I remember mm. we did a gig at the Keystone Berkeley one night where only one in the audience was the janitor right and we stopped at one point between songs and he goes you guys can go home now there's nobody here Uh and we're like yeah but to us this is like a rehearsal and we just did the full gig sure sure and you know and uh you know so yeah it was that type of thing so so if you listen to our recordings a lot of them aren't that psychedelic like this Mm -hmm. one is This one starts with reggae and ends up into a new wave song. Jar Wars (laughs) is more of a surf, psychedelic instrumental. It's like a surf song. Um, Electric Third Rail, we actually stole a riff from Hawkwind for this. (laughs) And it has the sound of the BART. We actually have actual sounds of the BART train, on this train, on the record. That's so funny. We went down to the MacArthur Station this day when we did the photo shoot and recorded sounds of the PA system, and then ah. um, put it on the record. No, excuse me, it was before that. We went back to do the photos. Yeah. But anyways, so we were doing some things that normally, and this got produced by Mike Fox from a group called The Tools. He ended up in a group called Code of Honor, hmm. and he was a hardcore punk guy, but I remember at one point during Psycho, he said... um Oh, no, there was a point in Electric Third Rail where we wanted electrocution sounds. <laughs> we go, can you have sounds sound somebody getting electrocuted? Because mixed screaming on the record. He's going, ah! And what he did was he took we took beer cans and crinkled them in a mic and oh, yeah. sped it up. And so you got that... Sure, sure. So so we were doing shit like that. And, and it was like, you know, at the time, I don't think a lot of people got it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... And we weren't that good. We weren't good musicians. We were quintessential punks because Mick wasn't a great guitar player. Right. Gary was a piano player. He didn't play keyboards. Armin was the only musician. He played bass. I started playing drums when I bought my drum kit. In fact, I was playing right. backwards <laughs> for the first year. I was using this for the snare and this for cymbals. <laughs> it's the other way around. Right, I right. right. Drums. So I had to change the way I played <laughs> and I changed my kit. And everything else, but yeah, that's and we got some press, we got some radio play. But it are one of those bands that a lot of times when people think of us, they think of us, oh, yeah, that Berkeley band. Because <laughs> at the time, there was a rivalry between San Francisco bands and Berkeley bands. San Francisco bands were harder, they were junkier, right. they were sleazier. Berkeley band, Berkeley actually had kind of a psycho pop. Psychedelic scene with the psychotic pineapple. Mm. They were compadres. I don't know if you know who they are They were sort of kindred spirits the young adults and we opened up a lot of venues in Berkeley for punk rock so.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I think that's not a, a, a um, Leitmotif common thread something or other that is popped up here is the wide range of tastes that you all brought to the group and I feel like this kind of rewinds the clock a little bit further to your comment about doing radio in Connecticut and then coming out here and having that kind of be a, a common practice. Was that where you were getting a lot of your influences from, is radio
2: and the exposure there? Or? Our rec- we were all record junkies, record collectors. Record coll- okay, so it's record stores is where you're getting this stuff. And mm-hmm. so, for example, back in... Connecticut, I did a show called Syncopated Pandemonium, mm. which is actually the name of a song by Pink Floyd off of the Uma Guma album.
0: Oh, right. Okay. So, yeah. So yeah.
2: <laughs> that was my show, and it was four years of a progressive rock radio show. And oh, wow. back in 71, 72. What did that mean?
0: The Genesis and King Crimson? Genesis,
2: King Crimson, Roxy Music, Eno. Oh, okay. um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hatfield and North, Soft Machine, Kevin Ayers. Got it. And to get those records, you couldn't find them. Mm-hmm. You couldn't go down to like your record store and buy those records. Right. In Connecticut, there was a, sh- a store called Record World in Meriden, upstate, about an hour up. And they had imports. Okay. Imports. <laughs> they had imports. Right.
0: Again, Not, it seems like a novelty now, but then it, it was a whole other world. You couldn't
2: find imports yeah. anywhere. World music, reggae, mm-hmm. didn't exist because yeah. nobody had imports. So we went up and I'd buy things like gong albums, uh, Kevin Ayer's records, which weren't available in the States, mm-hmm. uh, Noy, uh, all that weird krautrock rock shit, yeah. records, that... Nobody else could hear, and I'd play them on the radio. So, by the time I was done at KWVA, I had a pretty good listenership. I got fan letters. In fact, some guy just sent me a tape of one of my radio shows. It's only two minutes. I did a show called The Record breaking show (laughs) remember i told you i was a record reviewer for milford citizen they were sending me all kinds of records sure and i didn't know what to do with them so i said i'm going to do a radio show where i actually break the records i'm going to play them (laughs) and break them on the air sure this was like 74 i think and so i went in there and i actually took the records played a little bit of it, and busted them right on the corner of the turntable (gasps) And you could hear me going, you know what? That really stinks. And yeah. you could hear the vinyl. And, and, and one, things like Almond Brothers albums. One of them was a Mighty Baby album, which is worth like $100 nowadays. Oh, wow. And I busted it on the air. A friend of mine who was listening to me back then recently got back in touch with me and sent me a one-minute one, one minute excerpt of me busting records <laughs> on the air. And it's funny as shit. That's great. And, and it, I didn't record the show because mm-hmm. I t- took the phone off the hook. And basically just went nuts for two hours in the studio. Yeah. And then the studio was covered with vinyl, with like broken <laughs> shards. I had to clean it up afterwards. People were like mad at me about it. They were like, sure. why did you break those records? But anyhow, that was kind of an early mm-hmm. radio show that I did where I just kind of...
0: Yeah. Knelt. You're demonstrating especially uh, this tendency where you're almost incorporating like... Art ideas with trash culture, like, yeah. over and over again. Because this idea of, like, breaking them after you play them on the radio, yeah. that is
2: a conceptual art
0: piece, yeah. 100%. Well,
2: you know, the Who had something to do with that. Because, sure. you know, he it with the guitar and stuff, but it wasn't conscious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was, I've got all these records I don't want. <laughs> what can I do with that? Yeah. And, and it turned into that. And it was kind of a legendary show. I remember my last radio show, I put on Moon in June by The Soft Machine, which was like a 20-minute track with Robert Wyatt. We went out and blew a joint out in the parking lot. Sure. And uh, came back, and it was like a going-away show. But <laughs> Syncopated Pandemonium had some listeners. and, nice. and so, so anyhow, out of that, out of all that weird Brit rock, Kraut rock, everything else came all these influences mm-hmm. of Bizarre. So when punk rock came around, <clears throat> everyone's if you can imagine, 1976, everyone's into Al <laughs> John McLaughlin, all those fusion records, right. Right? which were actually kind of progressive at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was so sick of that shit. Mm-hmm. At Here's a great KALX story. So KALX is known as a great purveyor of punk rock nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, at the time, they wanted you to play rotation, which was all... Fusion jazz, folk rock, or <laughs> like bad pop. Sure. I got on and started playing. I was, I think, I was the first guy to play Sex Pistols in the Bay Area. Oh, interesting. Seventy-seven. Yeah. When Anarchy came out. Because it's pretty single, new. Yeah. You know, it came out in '76, but I played it early '77. I was playing Ducks Deluxe. I was playing all kinds of weird, like Jonathan Richmond, Modern Lovers, things yeah. like that that nobody else was playing. And we would have to Write down on a playlist What we played that day In the old days And then the program director Would send it back to you And critique you pro- <laughs> I, I have copies of this If you ever want to see it That is so if you good you ever want to see it He wrote on top of one of them Too much punk rock Not diverse enough Wow When on the same show I had played Jerry Garcia's the wheel off is for so long. i had played Sun Ra, right. and I'd played some Gentle Giant, all within the same show. Yeah, so, you know,
0: I've never heard Gentle Giant being referred to as too much punk rock, but yeah.
2: <laughs> so they started hating me. I had a great Thursday night show at KALX, and I really bore down on the punk rock thing, really pushing it. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was doing it, and then they turned around, and this was like seventy-eight, early seventy-eight. They said, "We're moving your show." you've got a new show now at three o'clock in the morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sunday night. That's how they do it. (laughs) I said, fuck you. Yeah. 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 And I got out of there. Well, guess what? The next year they flipped and went all punk rock. (laughs) And that's been kind of their, their staple ever since.
0: I wonder, uh, if anybody there fondly looks back and goes, Oh, Mark, it's all his fault. (laughs) I ran into a guy recently that,
2: um, he was sort of a compadre there. Uh, uh, He kind of said, yeah, he said, you you and me were the... Because he was playing a lot of Bowie, Mm. a lot of glam rock... Right, right. Which was big at the time. Yeah, yeah. New York Dolls. Mm -hmm. i got to tell you my New York Dolls story. Oh, yeah. I worked at WSHU in Connecticut. That's my college station. Okay. And I used to get all kinds of offers. And they said, hey, you want to interview the New York Dolls? (laughs) And I had the record. And I kind of thought it was okay, but kind of unprofessional. Sure. But I said, fuck it. I'll go down there. And they played something, a place called the Stratford Motor Inn <laughs> in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And it was a it was an old hotel. Right. So I go in there, and I'm walking around. And they go, oh, yeah, the band's upstairs. And I go up there, and I meet Jerry Nolan, the mm. drummer at the time. And Jerry sits down, and we do an interview. And Jerry's one thing was, we're going to be bigger than the Beatles, man. Mm. Just you watch. <laughs> we're going to be bigger than the Beatles. We're the best and blah 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 and i'm like okay yeah yeah, okay so we go down we go to see the show and at at the time arthur kane the, the bass player had a full body cast well not a full body cast a body cast from his hip down to his leg because he'd broken his leg. So he played the whole show with a cast on. That's hilarious. They were <laughs> drunk out of their freaking minds. It was the world's worst sound system and they were so sloppy. Right. They did not care. <laughs> and three quarters through the show, I turned to my friend Pete. I said, Pete, let's get out of here. He goes, He goes. no. He goes, this is important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I guess said he, okay. I guess he knew. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it was like, so that was my experience with the dolls.
0: And again, contextually, for people who are like, yeah, what about New York dolls? There was nothing else like them at no. that time. There was nobody who was that trashy and sloppy. Yeah. As a, I mean, who, who what was that Pop? Maybe, yeah. And it was the other, uh, there's another... Uh, um, that other New York band that kind of put out the first punk record. Um, oh gosh. Uh, um, uh, oh man. Uh, they. It's totally.
2: You'll, you'll think of it. Yeah,
0: I will. I will. It's it's not ringing a bell off the top of my head. My point being is that like there wasn't other groups that were as. You know, so he was right. he was right to say this is something special. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I know.
2: It was just so you know, I, I would play the dolls on the radio back then, but nobody liked them. Yeah, yeah. you know, the big song I played was trash. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was a pretty cool song, but but. Nowadays the dolls are big, but anyhow, anyhow. that's that's my new. York sure, story.
0: sure, but yeah, So you've had several phases of your radio career over the years. Yeah, where you know. the East Coast and then LA. When did you get to Eugene for? Uh...
2: So I moved back to San Francisco in '87 and formed. We formed Bow and we were playing clubs. And then my job was I was a same day courier, special delivery courier, and I drove <laughs> all over the Bay Area till the year two thousand. Sure. Did not do music at all anything musical during that time i was just too burnt out and then barb and i looked at each other and said let's get out of here let's move to my wife uh, we let's move to eugene hmm. came to eugene and i said well i'd really like to be on the radio so i went to kwva i said and i met <laughs> here's how it happened there was a record store the museum of unfine art across right. from the post office sean media class I walked in there and him and I were kindred spirits which we was just like boom yeah, two artistic types <laughs> into weird music and stuff so him and I got to know each other and he had a show called uh
0: He had a show show? on the
2: radio. Yeah, I remember this, too. And uh, uh, it was all really bizarre electronic stuff. Mm -hmm. Sonar map.
0: That's what it was. And
2: I was his substitute DJ. Every now and then I'd come in and do his show. Mm. One day, the guy didn't show up for the next show, and he said, why don't you do the show? It was that loose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay. So I did a show, and I said, oh, this is kind of cool. But I started... I said, I really want to do my own radio show. So the World Beat Show that was on at 8 o'clock Sunday morning, (laughs) a slot nobody wanted. No student ever wants to do 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning Yeah, because they're too hungover. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to take that slot and make something out of it. And I called it the Sunday morning hangover. At the time, KWVA played 98% punk rock. And it was all the Clash, Sex Pistols, Damned, et cetera, et cetera. I was tired of it. I hated it. I came on and played Martin Denny, Lawrence Well. <laughs> I'm a Sumat, Yeah. Uh, all the really weird lounge mm-hmm. shit, and all the crusty old records with snap, crackle, and pop on them. And, pe- and people would call up and they'd go, hey, this is cool. I'm working in a bakery right now. It sounds really right. good on the background. Then I got bumped up to 10 o'clock because those people stopped showing up for this show. So I took the 10 o'clock slot. And my show evolved into more of what I'm listening to rather than just lounge and all that other stuff. But nobody else was doing Mm -hmm. lounge and all that other stuff. Pop, Julie London records, Bizarre Children's records. And that's how my current radio show... The Sunday Morning Hangover, <laughs> heard every Sunday at 10 o'clock. KWVA yeah. radio.org. Mm-hmm. Archive, that's Sunday Morning blogspot.com.
0: And you can find these on archive.org as well. Archives.org
2: has them all. Yeah. I got shows going back archived to 07. Nice. And a lot of them are pretty weird. I told mm-hmm. you that there's that Sunday Morning Hangover.com site. So what KWVA instituted after a while was you cannot play more than two songs by an artist in an hour. Oh uh, yeah, this went through a lot of radio too, where like it, they got kind of clamped down, and suddenly it was like you, your little freedoms here and there are going away. <laughs> I did things like I, you know, before that happened, I was doing a Tiny Tim special, Betty Boop special, right. Fronte and Titre special, a uh, little Marcy special. And but then when that happened, I couldn't do that. So I had to change the way I did things. So now my themes this week, it's all puppets. Yeah. So that way I can get around that rule. So, you know, but uh, that's what happened to KWVA. And then I ended up winning two awards Well, I won the best radio show in 2005. And best radio personality in two thousand and five from the Eugene Weekly, mm-hmm. who had a readers poll, and then I won again in two thousand and ten, <laughs> best radio show. And I was hoping to win this year, but I only placed. I only I didn't. Uh, next time. Yeah, next time. time. So
0: well, and and again, I don't. I hate to keep hammering on this, but out of step with what's kind of cool at the time, because when I was on at KWVA that rotation shelf. Yeah. It was all punk rock. And like, and we, and we, and we joke and say like, yeah, it was all punk rock. It was, every record was like a clash a Ramones or, you know, and, and there was a point where, and I liked this kind of music, but there was a point where like, I would tune in and I'm like, that's basically what I just played on my show <laughs> last night yeah and, and you're playing it again like four hours later and uh, you know and, and, and what
2: year were you on 2006 uh, 98 oh98 98. 98, yeah
0: okay. I started in 1998 and left to Portland in the year 2000. okay so, um, that was my range on that stage. you know honey visor right absolutely yeah, yeah. Honey, honey
2: told me all about you because I've had her on my show a number of times yeah she's great she's, she's great. uh one of those if you okay you hear of outside music mm-hmm Uh, I'm a big fan of outside music. All those people that can't fit into the music industry. She is your classic example of an outside musician who really should have tons of record albums out. She Mm -hmm. should be famous, and she doesn't have anything out. Yeah, and her shows, it's been a long time since I've seen her
0: play, but I remember there were times where, like, she would pull out the accordion and drown out these conversations that were happening. Where, like, these guys would be like drunk and she'd just be like playing it at them aggressively. She hated the <laughs> audience. She wanted total attention. Yeah. And if you didn't
2: give her attention, she got pissed. That's why she stopped playing. Yeah. She opened for Jonathan Richmond at one point.
0: Yeah. I have a good recording of her on my show too from yeah.
2: many years ago. And, yeah.
0: Uh, you, you know, she was one of those people where like, and I think this is what Eugene excelled at. Where, yeah. Like... In other contexts, <laughs> she would have been totally lost. Because, like, I don't think L.A. could have supported someone like that in their scene. But, like, Eugene is, like, the exact right place for someone of that yeah. musical caliber. Where, yeah. like, they, they are the star. And there's
2: people who get that and show up. And I have a friend named Hans Eichinger who's the same way. Mm-hmm. The guy should be as famous as Beck. Right. He has all these recordings. But he's not focused enough to channel it into a CD. Right. And I'm like, Hans, you could be famous, man. But getting back to your point, what is it about us, that us artist types, if you want to call it that, that we get bored? Mm. We get bored with the status quo. Yeah. What is it? It's like, you know, I was such a champion of punk rock and progressive rock until... Everyone else was doing it. And then I'm like, fuck, I, why should I play that stuff if somebody else is playing it? Absolutely. I yeah. want to do something different, mm-hmm. you know? Well,
0: and, and it's so often the case where, like, and I see this a lot, too, with uh, younger artists, because I work at this bar where you see, like, the 21, 22-year-olds who are just starting out bringing their first bands to the, to the stage. And it's like, they get this idea, and suddenly 30, 20-year-olds all want to have the same band. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, like, part of me, when I was 20, I was like, I want to have a different band than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Because, like, I was like, well, they already all did that stuff. Right.
2: <laughs> if they're doing that, and they're doing it better than I would be able to do it, mm-hmm. why should I do that? Yeah. I want to do my own thing. Absolutely. And that's kind of where the jars were at, and that's kind of where the Art faggots were at, and and it, it's, you know... It's but, one of those things,
0: too, where, like, I think it, it, it cannot be... Um, Understated uh, or, or overstated to me, because I think that uh, so often people get discouraged because of the similarity and uniformity of making music. Mm-hmm. I've seen this happen too with young kids, where they come out and they're in a band for about a year, and then they just stop and they're like, you know, "It's the same as everyone else." Yeah, you know, we we're, we're, we're not different yet. Yeah, and like it's that lesson that um, it's hard to learn at first. Yeah, I think uh, especially when you're very young. Things are so exciting and loud and crazy and wild, and then as you get older and that hangover sets in, yeah,
2: <laughs> you're like, "Hmm,
0: there's more to reflect on in this record." <laughs>
2: well, if you're going to turn on the radio on Sunday morning, you don't want to get beat over the head with like. You know, noise and grinding guitars. (laughs) Industrial. Industrial. And really, college rock is like, and this is the problem with most college radio stations, is they get into playing too much college rock. Yeah. There's sort of an unwritten rule at KWVA. Don't play commercial music. Mm -hmm. Don't play what you hear on the other stations. But you could take that and get a little bit too overboard on that. There's a guy named DJ Sleeve Who's a DJ at my station He's a good DJ He plays lots of weird shit But when I played Like one day A few weeks ago I played Wang Chung Everybody have fun tonight (laughs) Just because I wanted to Sure, sure And somebody got upset They wrote about it on Facebook Mark played Wang Chung on his show and I'm like, yeah, because I wanted to. It's kind of like, it was such a stupid song. Mm-hmm. You remember that video. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. It, it, you saw the video every day, and I hated it. In fact, a lot of the music that I used to hate, I, I'm i kind of liking now. <laughs> like Fleetwood Mac, like that mm-hmm. band, the Stevie Nicks band. Yeah, I hated yeah, yeah. them when, at the warehouse when I worked there. We were selling tons of that record. And then it's like, now I'm kind of digging it. there's
0: something interesting about the timing of that album too because it it, coming out in 77 it almost feels like an answer to and then everyone else is responding to it as well like it feels like it's right in that moment where they're like let's see if we can be as poppy as possible and everyone else saw that and ran the other way yeah yeah Yeah. and then now like with hindsight i listen to rumors and it's this joke where everybody has a copy and it's been around for a million years and everyone's covered it and whatnot it still feels a little fresh in a way that some punk records do not. Right,
2: right. I mean, you can tell they're putting, really, their feelings into it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite albums was a couple of albums after that, Mirage. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was a real solid record. That's after Tusk, where they got weird, they decided to come back to a commercial album, but mm-hmm. Mirage had Hold Me and Everywhere and a couple of those other songs. Not Everywhere, but a couple of other songs on it, but... I thought it was a solid record. I was really into that record when it came out and nobody else was really well, it was on MTV, but it it wasn't that well received Mm. as a record Mm. just because by that time they were done. Yeah. You know, they were like, Oh, it's Fleetwood Mac, those guys that sold a bazillion records.
0: (laughs) Right. Give some room for the other artists. And that (laughs)
2: that can backfire on success can backfire Mm. on you too.
0: WTBC Radio is also sponsored by Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce. Locally made in Portland, Oregon, Peggy's Sauce is 100% vegan and 100% ready for you to experience a taste explosion you'll want again and again. Available in three flavors. Hotter Melon, Ghostberry, Five Star Gary, Carolina Reaper. That's with avocados. For more information about... Peggy's Sauce, including ordering inquiries, please visit Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce, all one word, on either Facebook or Instagram. Let me say it one more time. Peggy's Vegan Hot Sauce. When you need a little something with an extra kick.
3: If you want it, you gotta learn to reach out there and grab it.
0: If you are looking for professional photography and contemporary style and glamour, then J. Jean Portraits is your destination. Based right here in Salem, Oregon, just like this podcast, J. Jean Portraits can offer the right kind of photos for the project that you have in mind. To help wet the whistle of people interested in J. Jean Portraits, we are holding a contest. For the person or artist who would like to do a little photo shoot on us, please send an email to austinrich at gmail.com and explain why you should have your band, art project, or whatever photographed in a short paragraph. And the most interesting entry will receive a full photo shoot package courtesy of j jean portraits you do not want to miss out on this opportunity to get professional quality photography for free so please enter to win a free photography package with j jean portraits that's j a professional look tailored specifically for you hinted at this a little bit so um uh backstory on this conversation you just rummaged through a bunch of records and we were chatting about yeah i love and garbage things. and there's something about looking through albums this visceral act of kind of rummaging where even things that are kind of crummy you're kind of like you know well, the thing that i think about is led zeppelin three which was not loved when it was out and in the hindsight it's kind of the lost led zeppelin yeah. record uh Every time I see it in a
2: thrift store there's something about it where I want to buy it and give You're it to someone. Get it. It's got that groovy cover with the, you know, yeah. with the date. and it's like, you know, that that kind of thing. And and, and also it's there's something about holding a record album. Mhm. You know, and especially well, my generation, you know, I'm a little bit older than you. Right. Remembering these things when they were in the store. I was looking there was a Joe Cocker album that you had over there. Yeah, yeah. And it was the second Joe Cocker album. And I bought it when it was brand new at Grandway in West Haven. <laughs> brought it home, played it, and hated it. <laughs> hated the hell out of it. Because to me, it was all the same shit. Right, right, so right. I brought it back, and uh, they didn't have the Joe Cocker record. They said, well, pick out something else. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll buy a record for the cover. Right. I bought the first King Crimson album. Oh, there you go. <laughs> a great cover. And I brought it home, and I was like... Yeah! yeah! Now that's what I'm talking
0: about. And that's the kind of record, too, where, like, so I had never heard them, didn't know anything about it, and got that record. And when you drop the needle on that, like, you, it's very surprising. Yeah, 21st is,
2: Century Skitswain, man. That's, it is not what you think it's
0: going to be no. based on the cover. Yeah. And then the rest of the album doesn't sound like that song. Right. So it's a different album. It's a like
2: death of the universe rock. Yeah.
0: And there was one of those things where, and this has happened to me several times, where, like, Rummaging and buying just on the
2: cover alone yields amazing results. You In- get it for cheap <laughs> enough. I got a Harmonicats record the other day that had a beautiful woman on the cover. So the only reason I got it was this beautiful blonde is lying on a couch. God, I saw a cover today on the net of an Edie Adams. She used to be. Oh, yeah. Ernie Kovacs' wife, she used to be on that show. There's an Edie Adams cover where what she's doing is, you can't see this on your podcast, <laughs> but she's basically... Bent over. Showing her ass. Showing and, the know, rear. And it's like she's in a bikini and she's <laughs> bending over with high heels. To me, that's the nicest record cover I've seen in my life. It was so gorgeous. And now I want it. Mm-hmm. I want that record. i got to find it. It, yeah. gets buried, it gets burned into my head. Like the Julie London Calendar Girl album. Oh. That record cover, she's all poised. According all, mm-hmm. to January, February, March. Yeah posting all these different skimpy outfits on the cover <laughs> when i found that i was like yes mm-hmm.
0: it was like christmas well and this is the other thing too uh, so again i'm younger but like my parallel path of like discovering girls and discovering records yeah. like there was, it was like watching that robert palmer video with the girls dancing behind him or yeah, something yeah. like Addicted it was like the perfect, it was the perfect synthesis of this exact thing where I bought so many albums because there were girls on the front. (laughs) Or because they looked nice.
2: Or, or, I mean, Missing Persons. Do you remember that Mm, chick? I mean, I I could care about the band, but boy, I was tempted to buy the record just based on her. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, Blondie was a big part mm-hmm, of that. If, mm-hmm. if there was five guys up there, you probably wouldn't have gotten into them. But yeah. it was Debbie Harry. So, and
0: it turned out she also could sing very well, too. So it worked in their favor. <laughs> I got to meet her. She
2: very tiny girl. Oh, wow. My friend ended up on a five-hour... Um, a jaunt through san francisco trying to score coke for her she's really into coke my friend bumped into her and he, she goes where can i get some coke and it, it, he has this long convoluted story about all the different weirdos they ran into just to try to score <laughs> some coke she was she was kind of a fun chick from what i hear
0: yeah this is the other thing that i appreciate about uh meeting people who are not all. so like you've been in a bands but you're not like a musician kind of guy. No, but I, you're don't, so I don't like... consider
2: myself a musician. But
0: you're adjacent to it in so many yeah. ways. And I don't where... <laughs> consider myself an artist either. <laughs> That's interesting. You know? Now, uh, how did you start doing the TV version of your radio show? Was that just a temporary? Okay,
2: so if, uh, an ex friend of mine named Tampi Solhama had a show on CTV, which is kind of like Wayne's World. It's like yeah. local cable. And it was, he would put a lot into a show, heavy editing, he would spend hours on that thing. And I was like, screw it, I'm just going to take a camera, stick it in the corner of my studio, and film myself doing my radio show. Sure. And I'm up to 250 of them, and I just gave up. (laughs) I gave up because uh, I really got to hate looking at myself on TV, but the other Mm. part was the studio configuration and new studios are not configured as well as the old studio. Yeah was for filming nevertheless i got lots of great footage including lots of honey visor lots of simone white haley loren Mm. a lot of interviews Mm -hmm. and a lot of local bands that kind of came through the studio now they're at least on tape somewhere yeah you know and and the thing is somebody complained they called up the tv station they said who's this guy that all he does is play records on TV? <laughs> and I felt like saying, you should have said to him, why don't you do that? Right, you know, right. If you're so pissed off about it, go get your own show. Mm-hmm. And and But I, what I was doing was, and I'd edit down the show, I'd cut the music out so you got just my talk. But I just wanted people to see what kind of goes into actually yeah. DJing. because people think that all, the music is automatic now you've got stations like Bob out there right. where there's it's a rate it's a robot. It's a basically a machine that has uh, guys that do announcements, they do the commercials and they punch them in and there's nobody in the studio.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's scary That's radio
2: nowadays it's automa- automatic. I will I want to go back to real personalities on the radio, real people, real people screwing up on the radio. And also doing things like shifting at the, like the hangover, I never, when I plan a show out, there's times, there's so many times I've gone in and thrown it out the window and said, I'm doing something totally different. (laughs) I love that. I'm tired of that already.
0: You run out, you run out of steam for the
2: idea on the way to the station. (laughs) That happens (laughs) to me too. (laughs) Wednesday I'm into doing this, but by Sunday I'm like, you know what? And it might have something to do with the weather. It might have mm. something to do with the time of the season. It might have something to do with current events. News, yeah. Like if Trump got resigned or something tomorrow, I'd do a whole show around For it. For sure. <laughs> I cannot ignore what's going on in the outside world, and I bring that into mm-hmm. my show to try to kind of pepper the show with some contemporary stuff, yeah. even though most of what I play is retro.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I think that... Um, hmm. Fortunately, especially for younger generations, that retro stuff is still fascinating to them.
2: You I, know? <laughs> I walked at the CD world one day, right? And I'm looking for the new Roiksopp CD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you know with Roiksopp, they're Scandinavian, being electronic, very, yeah. very way ahead of their time. Yeah. And the kids at the counter didn't know, and they were playing a Bruce Springsteen album, <laughs> The Wild, The Innocent, <laughs> The Street. Easter. Yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, the record came out when I was in college. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you're into this? I like, go, you like this? And they're like, yeah, Bruce is great. And I'm like, and it's like a 18 year old kid standing there, and he's into Bruce. Right. Now, to me, that's the equivalent of me when I was 12 being into Glenn Miller. Right. You know? Yeah, it would be so out of step with the yeah, time period. Yeah, it doesn't. It makes no sense. Yeah. Oh, and then I think they put on another record by Bob Dylan. <laughs> you know, you know I, I'm notorious for hating Dylan. Because mm, cause, yeah. cause of the way he sounds. He just sounds bad. Although I like some Dylan albums, I think he's overrated. But you got to hand it to the guy for putting thought into words and having that influence in music. You yes. got to give him that. Yeah, yes. But nevertheless, I can't understand why kids are playing Dylan albums <laughs> when there's all this other great shit out there. Like sure. my favorite band, always. You know, I'm really into them, and I don't know why they're not megastars. Mm, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, know, I run into the same
0: thing. So, again, the bar I'm at that I work at, there's 20-year-old kids there quite often, and they're all really into The Cure right now. What's up with that? And and they're not even into, like, the first... That's 1980. Well, and they're not even into the 80s one. They like the 90s... (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. album. <laughs> I mean, <come> on. <laughs> and and you know, and in a way, like so I was there when that 90s album came out, it was not well loved, wish yeah. like people did not like it. It got compared to their other records, fans really kind of buried it. Yeah, and I think it was in a movie soundtrack somewhere, and then it kind of got forgotten. And then now, like, flash forward. It's like the grunge album by The Cure. <laughs> and they, like, for I some just reason, don't get
2: it. I think it's cool. Uh, don't get me wrong. I think it's really cool for young people to go back and revisit the classics because there is such a lot of good music, especially that came out in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Of course, that's me speaking. That's where I'm from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you notice that's what people are listening to nowadays. Yeah. And it's weird. It's weird. So I was playing a lot of retro on KWVA, and everybody's like, what's with this retro shit? And then all of a sudden it exploded. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden everybody's into retro now. And I <laughs> said, well, the hell with that. Moving get on a, now. i got to get a little bit more weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, it is funny.
0: I have one more question, basically, and then we can kind of go from there for whatever. Uh, this was something that I think I saw mentioned online where... You were on the radio when Elvis died. Was this true? Like you, that you were you did a show either the day after or very soon after? It
2: was uh, must have been KALX um, in Berkeley and Elvis died. And I remember doing a tribute, but what what was it
0: about? I just I I just remembered this where I thought it was kind of I think you had posted a playlist at one point that I saw. It was
2: one of my KWVA playlists that I told you about where the guy wrote on the top too oh. much punk rock. Oh, okay. And it uh, but the one that I posted was the day Elvis died, and mm-hmm. I think I wrote a little note: Elvis died today, uh, and I played. An so El- that you wouldn't get in
0: trouble for playing more than one song, right? <laughs> and I no no
2: they they didn't have that rule back oh, then. Oh yeah, got you got got. And I played an Elvis song, and I played a couple of Elvis-related type tangential songs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I didn't care about Elvis at, the, at, the, at that point. Right. I liked Elvis. I went to Graceland and, and saw Graceland and all that other shit. And I liked Elvis's early records. I even saw a lot of the movies when I was a kid, because I lived next to a movie theater. Oh, okay. 35 cents to get into a movie.
0: You <laughs> see Blue Hawaii for
2: 35 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and you got two movies, three stooges, a cartoon, and a newsreel. Hey. All for $0.35. Cents. And if you were there all afternoon. Of course, you know why your parents sent you down there, so they could be banging while the kids were out of the house. <laughs> right. So anyways, but I saw, it must have been every Elvis movie throughout the 60s, and they were all horrible. Mm, but mm-hmm. I liked Elvis. Elvis is like the quintessential god of American culture. <laughs> Him and Marilyn Monroe are sure, sure. Know, kind of like that movie Wild at Heart. Oh, yeah, 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 Elvis meets Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> which also is a very funny movie Have that is seen? hilarious that movie gets funnier every time I see it like I said Lynch has got a weird sense of humor there's
0: that bit where um, he starts serenading her in the middle of the, of the heavy metal show <laughs> yeah. and, like all these heavy and metal guys stops. stops as he's like ser- <laughs> and it's so surreal and hilarious and weird and like and that's the tip of the iceberg with that film that film was yeah. very strange <laughs> my favorite
2: scene in the movie is where Diane Ladd her mom takes the lipstick and puts it all over her face Oh yeah, and they do a big close up, and she's like, "Yeah!" It's like she got lipstick all over her face. It was so cool. I need to see that again. It's been a long time. Hilarious movie. Yeah, but anyways, so what was your question about Uh, Elvis? I was
0: just curious about it because, like, so rarely do you get the opportunity to be on the radio when something
2: like that happens. I should have made more a bit more of a deal out of it, and I didn't. I just kind of said, "Oh yeah, Elvis died today." When I imagine at the time too. Especially if you're
0: less interested in that era of culture and whatnot, Elvis dying is kind of like,
2: eh, Rosemary Clooney passed or something like that. It's like, eh, you know. Elvis was kind of gone. He was kind of dead to everybody. Nobody was listening to his records. I think the last big record was like "Wonder of You," which Bo covered,
0: and we didn't have that retro yet for him. Yeah, that nostalgia hadn't quite set in,
2: right? And so you know, Elvis was just bloated, and it was just another rock star that. Because I remember when Hendrickson and Morrison and all those people died, I thought the government was out killing them. <laughs> well, it did kind of seem a little,
0: uh, what do you call it, um, uh, convenient, coincidental. <laughs> this record,
2: Time of the Assassins, um, this was written, it's the title of a book by Burroughs, mm. or a, a, a piece by Edward Burroughs, and J.D. wrote it early, I think in 79, or later in 79, and then we covered it. And that year in 1980, when this came out, they tried assassinating the Pope. Mm. They tried assassinating somebody else. And when our record came out, John Lennon had been assassinated. Right. We were at a JARS rehearsal downstairs in my house, playing downstairs. And our manager, Mark, the guy from Bo that I told you about, came downstairs. He was watching Howard Cosell (laughs) on the TV upstairs. And he goes, hey, everybody. He goes... You might want to take a break. John Lennon just got shot. Whoa. And it was like whoa. And it was like to me that was that was big. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Forget Elvis. Yeah. To me John Lennon getting shot that was huge. I was just a kid, but I remember my parents they were just floored
0: by it. Yeah. And it was just yeah. like you know and, and and it seemed um like
2: and, and again I was so young but like It felt like the whole world stopped suddenly. (laughs) It was a crazy weekend because nobody could believe it, Mm -hmm. you know? But, anyways, that's kind of what that record was about. Yeah. And so you guys had picked the name before all that stuff had gone down? Yeah. Kind of the assassins. <laughs> that was written before they shot the Pope. A, written before they shot Lennon. What a synchronicity that you guys. This is, again. You guys are in a lot of ways just ahead of the curve. You're... Well, I was a big assassination, JFK assassination, freak. Oh, I've been following that okay. since '67. Yeah, yeah. And I had all these books about the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. So, but that had nothing to do with JD writing the song. But the cover, which is. Lee Harvey Oswald getting shot by Jack Ruby. Right. Uh it was he was shot in a police station, but this was supposed to resemble the movie theater he got arrested in. Yeah. This is the um the College Avenue Theater in Berkeley. Oh. Okay. Actually, put this up on the marquee that night. We have a picture of it for us to take a picture That's of for perfect. The yeah, so, yeah. And this is from the Wax Museum in Washington, DC. They're not real. Figures Uh, or wax museum figures. Okay. So that's kind of where that came from. Then we developed a whole... After this, we started saying that Armin had been assassinated. So we started putting out posters, and on this cover, he's dead. Yeah. So all the posters we had after this had him being dead. So it was like, remember when Paul McCartney yeah. he was still the bass player of the Beatles? Remember when they thought he was dead? We did the same thing. We started saying, hey, Armin Hammer's
0: dead. So, you know, my memory of that is so bad. I assumed that that Paul is dead stuff was much later, but that was concurrent at the time. They were thinking well, that he was Paul's
2: dead. Paul is dead was 19. When did that whole rumor came out around Abbey Road? 1970? Okay.
0: okay. So it was actually when they were still. Yeah.
2: Yeah. When they were just breaking up. Mm-hmm. That was the Paul is dead thing. God. So, in my memory, for some reason, and again,
0: I wasn't there, so I imagined it happening after the fact. But, yeah. No, it was, it was such, it was such a big deal.
2: And everybody was examining their Beatle records and looking for clues and, <laughs> and looking, like, holding the records in mirrors, looking for secret <laughs> phone numbers <laughs> and things like that. And I, I was into it. I was like, I, in fact, i got some recordings of that stuff that I play every now and then on the mm-hmm. internet. It's just funny as fuck.
0: Well, because it's pre-internet. It's yeah. before where you could fact-check all this stuff. Right. And so the only way that you had any confirmation is like, what you overheard at a party? <laughs> right. Everyone was convinced that yeah. Paul
2: McCartney was dead. They didn't. They couldn't fact check it. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine, no CDs, no internet. Yeah. I mean, uh, this this was kind of a weird time. Mm-hmm. And you, you know? weren't friends with him, so there. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't his Facebook friend. Right,
0: right, right. He, he wasn't on like the internet doing web videos saying, "Hi, I'm still alive. Yeah. I'm still here." <laughs> right. So um, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't really have anything else. You kind of hit all the high points. Uh any... I'm trying to think if there's anything I needed to. Yeah, anything. To ask. You want to
2: close or? Well, thanks for having looking through your records. See, think about looking through records is because I've worked in so many record stores and mm-hmm. I've had so many records that I used to have. When I do this, it brings back all the memories. So you saw me when I'm going. Oh yeah, when I got this album, blah 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 happened. Yeah, you know. And, and so that's the thing with old records is that they're not like CDs. A CD is all like new. It's shiny. The plastic's shiny. There's no liner notes. You need a magnifying glass. That mm-hmm. records, you have an actual chunk of cardboard and plastic in your hand. You can flip it over and read the liner notes. Yeah. You take the plastic out. You have a nice clean surface. You, you actually have to take and physically put it on something and then put a needle on it. Put something else on that. Yeah. It's not you it's don't mechanical. Just, it's very um participatory. Yeah. Not like <clears throat> CDs or MP3s where you just press a button mm-hmm. and there it is. Or
0: sometimes people do a voice thing where they're like, Hey, play MP3s for me or whatever. Now it's Alexa <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. you go, Hey, I want to
2: hear that song. Did you hear about the parrot that was ordering food? I heard about this, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking parrots on Alexa all day. He's, uh, Order me some worms! But he mainly used Alexa to hear songs. He basically had it set up for him so he could play with Alexa and have songs. There was some
0: uh, news story a while back where um, NPR was doing a news story about Alexa. And saying Alexa on the radio turned everyone's home devices on (laughs) and ordered a bunch of stuff that they were talking about on NPR. So then they had to do a retraction story where everybody is dancing around the name to not say
2: the name of the thing. <laughs> it's so great. And all I can think of is that Firesign Theater album. I, I think we're all bozos on this bus. Where mm. Side two is they meet the president, who's, right. a, who's a robot.
0: And it's like an impression of um, Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hello. Right. Always
2: glad to see you.
0: And the guy Clem
2: ends up figuring out how to break the robot, right? Which is, and the guy goes, Hey, you broke the president, man. You broke the president. And to me, that's one of the greatest things. And so, whenever I see an Alexa, mm-hmm. I'm like, That's my challenge. I want to break it, I want to say something to it, like, You know, read me, Dr. Memory, you know, open up your memory banks, shut down. Uh-huh. And I, what is it? What's wrong with me? Why do I? I have this rebellious streak. Why do I want to do things like that? I have a clean record. I have never been arrested, (laughs) never gotten busted for pot or drugs. I'm an upstanding citizen, but there's something in me, and maybe that's the artist that you're seeing, there's something in me that wants to break through the wall. (laughs)
0: my conversation with Mark Time here in the Lava Lamp Lounge rummaging through records and telling stories. Someday I'll assemble that other two hours into something listenable by possibly cutting out a good half of it. Who knows? But more likely uh, we'll just have Mark on the show again. Uh, He uh, definitely seemed to get what I was about, and uh, we shared a lot of the same kinds of uh, inspirations and insights and whatnot, and uh, yeah, I could see us doing this again very soon. He's a lot of fun to chat with. Our program has theme music by Paco and Laura Jones, and our closing music is by the band X. Please check us out on the Interwebitron Anywhen, Anywhere, Dot com all of our shows are there all the back episodes and information about other stuff related to us and where we are going in the future um, yeah a lot of cool things available at that place and uh, I, I very much encourage you to check it out uh, yeah, I think you'll find something there that uh, is right for you that's going to do it for us this week you guys are wonderful, you guys are beautiful and without you there would be no program I can't remember who I was talking to this with, but... There's something about when you're a kid and you're easily convinced and you're wide-eyed and everything is like, oh, it's magical, and you have that first moment where you kind of see through the looking glass and you kind of get to realize like, this is a sham. This is just news. It's being played, you know.
2: And then you feel like you've been ripped off. Yeah. How much time you got? On oh, that? Plenty, plenty. I got a riff about. I got it. I yeah, got. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to riff on this. Yeah. Let's talk about Christmas because it's Christmas. Yeah. <clears throat> so Santa Claus is the first big lie you're ever taught. Oh yeah. Talk. So you go, you know, and it's, hey, Santa Claus, hey, let's go see Santa. You go see Santa, you sit on his lap, hey, hey, it's cool, Santa brings me gifts. Santa exists. Exists much more than Jesus exists. Jesus doesn't bring me gifts. Right, right. It's fucking Christmas morning, I got gifts. Santa Claus did. But then around seven or eight, you go, it's not for real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fake. They lied to me. Yeah. What is the implications? Well, they lied about Santa, right? But I want to take that one step further. Mm -hmm. We have been taught all throughout our lives that Jesus existed. Jesus was a man. Jesus did this. Jesus did that. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely, and I've done, and by the way, let's, I want to give you my credentials here. Sure. I have a BA in religious studies. Oh, I studied Christology. I, I have studied so much religion. I've studied world religions. Yeah. I've studied all that shit. I was brought up in the Catholic Church. By the time I got out of college, after looking at religion, I was a full-blown atheist. Yeah, yeah. And that was the problem. How could you not? I I found out so much. So, the thing about Jesus is, there really is no historical record. The first record of him happened 200 years after he existed. Right. So, if you can imagine this guy Santa Claus came around 200 years ago and gave everybody presents, but you never heard about it (laughs) until the year 2010. You'd say maybe there's something wrong with yeah, that yeah. story. Something's not maybe adding up it here. Didn't <laughs> and so here is the world's biggest lie. Not that JFK was killed with a single shot, not that Richard Nixon was one of the greatest presidents in the world. The fact that we have been convinced that this cat Jesus mm. was born to a virgin yeah. from the seed <laughs> of a god who raped a poor young woman, okay, talk about the Me Too movement. Sure. She had to have the baby. They were homeless. They He ends up turning into one of the biggest historical figures on earth, dies on the cross, ends up resurrecting himself from the dead, <laughs> and people start a religion about it. But nobody knows about him for 200 years <laughs> until the early church starts... What does that tell you? Right. That tells me that we have been lied to. And when you have a culture where people are lied to all the time, and you have a culture where all of a sudden you have to relearn everything, there's a book by a guy named Howard Zinn, the People's yeah. People's History of America, where it's he great. basically tears apart every last thing you've been taught in school for Christopher Columbus. Right on down. And it's on the first page of that book, too. He, he, he starts
0: running with that. Yeah. And it's, it's a very fascinating... <laughs> so
2: my life... Ha- this is getting back to me. Sure. The Reverend Mark time has been spent unlearning all the bullshit that people yeah. have told me and trying to learn what the real truth is. Mm-hmm. We'll never know, but that's kind of where I'd like to end this, is that find out for yourself. If somebody says on the internet hey, uh, they're giving away free snow cones at 7-Eleven tomorrow. Right. Check into it. <laughs> it might
0: not be true. Yeah, don't go down to
2: 7-Eleven thinking it's going to happen mm-hmm. because chances are it's not true. And this is the problem with truth in America up to the point of our president where if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. I see that as the myth of Jesus. Yeah. And if you go to a website called jesusneverexisted.com. Mhm. There's also a movie called The Man Who Never The Man Who Wasn't There. No, The God Who Wasn't There. Oh, okay. A movie called The God Who Wasn't There. They totally demolished the whole Jesus mm-hmm. thing. Jesus came out of a bunch of myths. There's the myth of Osiris, the myth of uh, yeah. Horus, the myth of all, there's like 20 different ancient myths that they formed this cat Jesus around to fit in with the political pagan style of the times in order to bring people into a particular mindset and political mode. Right. And that's really the function of religion. It has nothing to do with reality. I prefer to worry about what happens when I die. Mm-hmm. Everybody's worried about, what. The, oh, gee, am I going to go to heaven? Am I going to go to hell? <laughs> Fuck, I don't care. I'm going to find out when it happens, right. When I, if I die like in a car crash on the way home. That's when I'm going to find out. I'm not going to speculate or postulate about, oh, I don't know. I was a good boy. I was a bad boy this week. I was, you know, Ooh, was a... It could be either you know, way. I could be either way. I might end up in hell. <laughs> so that's where I'm coming from. I'd rather not know. When I tell people I'm an atheist, they get all upset. Right. Atheists are the most despised minority group True. in this country and people are, although if you look at it, they're the biggest minority. So maybe 40% of the country does not go to church. Right. They don't believe in this stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, all I could say is find out for yourself. Do not believe the lies that even your teacher or your Catholic priest will tell you. Especially the Catholic priest. <laughs> You're about that guy in LA today? No. Uh, the Archbishop of LA got thrown out of the church today he's an archbishop. What do you have to do to become an archbishop? You gotta kiss a lot of ass. Right. Like, well, you got thrown out for molesting kids in the 90s. Mm. I mean, this is chronic. Yeah. This is Catholic church and I was brought up Catholic and, you know, Catholicism has instilled in me the biggest sense of guilt. Oh. Guilt, and it's like, I always think somebody's after me, or I'm always thinking somebody's mad at me. Sure. And and I go, where do I get that? And I realize it's from, it's from that upbringing. Because what they tell you is, the nuns tell you, you're born with sin. Mm-hmm. Oh, doesn't mm-hmm. matter how good you are. You're born with sin. You're already a sinner. It starts you're, that way. You're already bad
0: <laughs> before you've even had a chance. I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, it's, you know, there's a book that we studied in my college, and this is many years later, but it's understanding the Bible. And uh, I mean, we we approached it as like a literary class. You read the book, we study it, we talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and I, and this is just like a regular 100 level course. It wasn't even like a. I felt like I couldn't take that class and not come out an atheist. Like, I don't know how you could... Right. Because, like, I mean, it's a very straightforward thing. You read the Bible in conjunction with this text, and at the end of it, you're like, well, yeah, it looks like it was written by people, of course. Yeah. Well, <laughs> had to be there's, there's mistakes. There's, yeah, yeah.
2: There's stories that... that don't add up. When you look at the four Gospels. This I took a course called Christology, where they take all four Gospels and line up all the stories. Mm. And it's kind of like that thing where you, that you play at parties, you say... You know, you do a party thing where you go, hey, telephone, telephone." you play a telephone game. By the time it ends up at the other end of the room, (laughs) it's blown up. Jesus fed a million people with fishes and stuff, whereas in the original story, it was less or it happened a different way. Mm -hmm. And each uh, gospel as it goes along is maybe 10, 20, 30, maybe 50 years later. And the story has gotten that more blown up. That's what happens with truth. Have you ever read, seen the illustrated, the illustrated story of the Bible by Robert Crumb? Oh, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so
0: good too. It took him forever to do that too. He was working on that for all years. all kinds of sex and, yeah. and
2: stuff going on in there. That you go. That's in the Bible. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so anyhow, that's kind of what I I think the Bible is possibly mm-hmm. the world's greatest science fiction story oh yeah i mean it,
0: it starts off with the creation of the universe twice twice like at the very beginning the yeah. same universe created twice because you might have missed it the first time so we're going to re- go over it right. again <laughs>
2: in one version of the bible i forgot which version they talk about the giants that roam oh earth. yeah 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 giants are roaming earth <laughs> what the hell <laughs> and it's, it, well and it
0: becomes very painfully clear how these are all these little stories yeah. gathered together. Yeah. It's like the greatest compilation album of all time. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, we got all these little bits from all the villages, you know, and love in this area. <laughs> and they're all in one book. Uh, but I it, it mean, like, and and some of those stories are good. I'll totally give it that as a text. If you read them kind of divorced of context and whatnot, and you're like, oh, this little bit's kind of cute. And I like the story here, but it's such a strange book to it would be like as arbitrary as picking any other novel to live your life by, you know. Like I don't follow *The Moon* made by Aguirre Burroughs as my like yeah. Bible, yeah. <laughs> although it's probably just as like arbitrarily
2: assembled. <laughs> yeah. But the Bible's weird because it's like you said, a collection of books. So they get into the genealogies yeah. and so and so beget that, and it's like oh, some boring, and boring stuff. And then you get the Psalms, and you got like, like, why are the Psalms here? And then it moves on with the history, but, and then all it is is writings in the Gospel of Paul. He's just like going on and on about all kinds of crap. I mean, it's like it's like I don't understand it, but there's a lot of stuff going on there where God comes out and blows up the world like three times, right? You know, because he's mad at everybody. This is this is your merciful, benevolent. God. This is the guy
0: you're supposed to be in good with.
2: He loves (laughs) you so much that he comes out and destroys everything. Mm -hmm, He -hmm. told, was it Abraham, to go kill his son? Oh, that's The whole story is crazy. Yeah, I
1: think
2: Job had to go fuck his daughters. I mean, you know, it's just crazy shit. Mm -hmm. It's just like only a human could come up with that. I mean... You know, I I don't care. It's yeah. like, a divine book would be much more simple. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. So when I die, I'll find out when that happens, you know, whether or not Jesus is going to be sitting on the right hand or whether St. Peter is going to be saying, come on in, Mark, time. Mm-hmm. Or, nope, sorry, you fucked up over here. I'm going <laughs> to send you over to hell. And, you know, yeah. uh, I'll wait. Mm-hmm. I, I'm perfectly willing to wait. Uh, there's a book by Ram Dass called... Be Here Now.
0: Yes, yes.
2: And when I I actually got to meet him. Very, very cool. Great guy. Saw a lecture of him in 75. Real glowing, super glowing personality. Very positive. And that one phrase, Be Here Now, to Mm. me is one of the most important phrases. Because if you run into people with mental problems and depression problems, the issue is they're not being in the moment, they're thinking about what's gonna happen. The future or or the past. What just happened. And no one is savoring the moment. This is what bugs me about cell phones and people walking down the street. They could be savoring the weather, the other people, the buildings, the Mm -hmm. whatever's going on around them, but they are plugged into where they are going, who they are talking to, and what they're gonna be doing next. And we have lost that thing about be here now. We have lost yeah. That sense. So.
0: Well, this, I, yeah, yeah the same conversation of like having to go over to your friend's house to see if he was there, you know, because like, he, well, maybe he didn't hear the phone or whatever. Right. Like yeah. You know, this idea of like trying to actually interact in the spaces around you rather than
2: in this box that you carry in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. it, it's pissing me off because even like when I'm sitting at home with my wife, she's on, she's got like her laptop going, she's got her cell phone next to her <laughs> watching TV. So I'll say, hey, I heard a funny story the other day and it went like this. And then the cell phone will ring. Right. Or she'll say, wait a minute, I'm getting a text from my boss. or, And I it's like you can't talk to anybody without some fucking interruption coming along. And somebody's saying, Excuse me, I have to go take care of this little box in my pocket. This is what I do attend <laughs> like to, to it. I yeah. do have a cell phone, it's off.
0: It's, it's been in your You off. haven't even touched it the entire time we've been hanging it's out. It's off.
2: <laughs> because this is a one way phone. This right. phone, which is a shitty old uh, Android cool pad, which hardly works, <laughs> but it can make a phone call. Forced to buy this because I had to use it for work. And I never use it. It's only for calling out. Mm. Nobody has my cell phone number. I went to a bar in
0: San Francisco in October. And uh, they had this beautiful sign walking in, no cell phones. And uh, <laughs> I was like, how do, they, how do they enforce this? And we went inside and no one was on their cell phone. And there were people dancing and talking. And, drinking. and having a
2: great old time. And, and then
0: like in the back, I did see another sign. And they said, if you want to take a picture, go back here. oh that's awesome and I was like this is like the 90s all over again I'm into this it's kind of refreshing isn't it yeah Well, it's like and I find myself doing it too just as we were talking I almost reached for my phone to check the
2: messages you know that old thing when you go to dinner everybody piles their cell phones on the Mm -hmm. table first one that picks it up
0: but it is one of those moments where like every time I catch myself doing that I want to reinforce the. let's get on my bike let's let's go outside let's do something because like it gets me further away from rummaging through record bins. It gets me further away from like talking. That's to more people.
2: real than cell phones and. Yeah. And, and uh, I here I am telling you all this stuff, but I'm on Facebook a lot. That's true. And Facebook has fucked over a whole bunch of people recently. They're they're getting sued by the British government today. Mm. And nevertheless, I'm on Facebook because a lot of my friends are on there, and it's kind of cool, and I like to say hey, I'm doing a show all about puppets this weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's about promotion. It's basically what sure. I do on Facebook. To promote my show or my TV show or whatever. But I'm not one of these guys that's going to get on and go, <clears throat> I feel so shitty today. My, uh, my wife, you know, I tried fucking her, but uh, I couldn't get it up. And mm-hmm. uh, what is it? It's and, not a journal. And, all you. these, Or it's kind of like, you know, I got in a fight with my friend the other day, and I'm sad. And I'm gonna, is it, everybody's like, you know, some people, they lay out their entire stories of their lives on the Internet. Mm. And what are you going to get back from people except, hey, shut the fuck up about it. Yeah, or, yeah. gee, I'm so sorry. I love it when people die. I never responded when people die. Because it's like, what can you say? Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It's like The Sopranos. I don't know if you ever saw that show. Tony right. would always say at least he didn't suffer. Right, 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 right.
0: Which is <laughs> such a, like, yeah. You know, it is funny because, like, what I see happening is people basically journaling yeah. publicly for everyone to read. Uh, and, like, I'm trying to imagine if you wrote that in a journal... And someone read it, you would be horrified. Yeah, about that stuff. But now, you want to put it online, and you hope other people are reading (laughs) it.
2: The whole world is seeing your crap.
0: Yeah, it's such a change. I mean, like we could go on forever about what's different about the 80s than now, but that kind of stuff really seems highlighted, where things that would have been unthinkable in those days are... Just the way we operate now.
2: Where are we going in 10, 20 years? I was hearing a story about cars. Mm. Because I'm in my car a lot. I drive a lot. And they said, well, cars are going to be obsolete. Mm. And they're going to turn into rooms. Like driverless cars. Moving rooms. Where you might have a room that's the size of this house rolling down the street. (laughs) And you have all your friends in there. And you're having a party. But you're on your way to somewhere else. Somewhere other destination. Or you're having sex in a in a room. Mm -hmm, You know, you got a bed and it's moving somewhere, and it's kind of like they were talking about that, and they were talking about cars being, uh, essentially, they're going to be obsolete. But I was thinking, no, because we all cannot afford to buy a big room moving down the road. Right. We're we're a society and. Humans are, like, where we hold on to the older stuff if it still serves us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my car still serves me. It's a 2002 Toyota, and it it gets me where I'm going. I don't care that it's not electric or it's not a hybrid. Yeah. And you're going to have a certain amount of the populace is going to be holding on to those while everybody else is in their new transporters.
0: Oh, sure. So. You see a, a version of this now that's not as extreme with... Um, Uh, cars that have computers in them and cars that don't yeah because like you go into the um, uh, uh, like mechanics you can't fix that computer car on your own Yeah, like an old engine you can take apart and fix all you want and so there's people that are still clinging to that old engine because they don't want their computer car that same divide will happen again in like 20 years where Everyone's got their computer cars and their driverless cars, and right. the, the guys with the computers like, no, I like my computer better.
2: <laughs> I'm just wondering, though, if we're going to be turning into a society, a split society, where there's the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everybody has to have a computer. Right. Do you know anybody that doesn't have one? Or Not doesn't again. have a cell phone? No, I don't. I do. Yeah. And... Uh, this lady I'm speaking of doesn't even have an email address. Wow. So she goes to REI to buy something and they go, well, we'll send you a receipt. Mm-hmm. She goes in the mail. They go, no, by email. She goes, I don't have email. Right. She had to borrow my email to get, <laughs> to a, get receipt. a receipt. <laughs> I think that's so refreshing. That's really refreshing. Cause when I got the email, I called her up and said, Hey, you know, mm-hmm. uh, your thing came in. Yeah, yeah So yeah. it's like, it's like to me, uh, I don't want to say, let's all go back. There's no way you can go back now. Sure. The cat's out of the bag. Just like with Napster and all file sharing services, Yeah, the record companies can't police that stuff. It's out of the bag. The Pandora's box. It's and, all been...
0: and they've stopped caring, too. They've kind of moved yeah. on to other battles.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you know, I guess I'm just, you know, a little worried about society turning into this split society where, You got those people and then the rest of us are left in the lurch, like
0: homeless. W T B C Anywhere, anywhere, from our house to yours.